1: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We have some value on a global distributed ledger. We had the ability to frictionlessly store and transfer value, and that was a big one. Now, the next logical step is just collateralize the value, lend the value, borrow the value, or transfer the risk of the value. And that's DeFi. It's really the next logical step. So that's why I say, like, if you understand Bitcoin, there's absolutely no excuse for not understanding DeFi. It's the same thing, it's just the next logical step. So I think DeFi is here to say.
0: Welcome back to The Breakdown with me, NLW. It's a daily podcast on macro, Bitcoin, and the big picture power shifts remaking our world. The breakdown is sponsored by Crypto.com, Nexo.io, and Elliptic, and produced and distributed by Coindesk. What's going on, guys? It is Wednesday, October 7th, and today my discussion is with Chow Wang, and we get into everything from Bitcoin's macro resilience over the last couple weeks to where DeFi is in its cycle and what the long-term actually looks like, what threats could undermine it, and whether or not Bitcoin ends up as the reserve asset for the whole space. First up, however, let's do the brief. First up on the brief today, we really are testing the theory of just how reliant on stimulus the markets are. Maybe the biggest question for traditional markets over the last few weeks has been whether there will be another stimulus package. When it seems like deals are getting closer, markets go up. When it seems like the parties are getting farther away, markets go down. This has gotten so significant that markets, which are historically hostile, at least on the face of it or from a narrative perspective, to a shift to the left, have gotten down with the idea of a Biden win because they think it might mean a bigger stimulus. Well, yesterday, President Trump tweeted out that he had ordered Mitch McConnell to stop negotiating, and the political goal was clearly to paint Nancy Pelosi as the intransigent one. The phraseology, however, made it really tough. It seemed like he was making a unilateral decision to end any possibility of a stimulus until after the election. Markets started Tanking! The number of charts floating around on Twitter that show the huge line down are just incredible. Ultimately, the s and p 500 ended down 1.4% and even Bitcoin went down, prompting Keith McCullough to tweet that apparently Bitcoin needed a stimulus too. Now, President Trump has subsequently backtracked asking for specific bills to sign right now, like a direct stimulus bill right away. However, I have to say that the most prescient observations about this go to one, as you'll see later, Chow, who says that his base case is that stimulus is inevitable, based on where we are now, based on us having crossed a Rubicon before. And second, stool Presidente himself, Dave Portnoy. He tweeted out, I'm on a plane. Donald Trump is trying to show people what will happen to the stock market if people don't elect him. However, he can't win by intentionally tanking the stock market like he just did. He will lose any economic votes he has. He will change his tune soon. Portnoy has, of course, been doing a victory lap ever since then, as Trump's tweets have tried to do exactly that and change that tune and walk it all back. For me, the really notable thing is just how reliant on the idea of more stimulus these markets are. We really are a drug addict that can't get enough. Next up on The Brief today, antitrust going after tech a House panel has issued a proposal after 16 months of investigation. This 449-page report says that Facebook and Google are monopolies, while Apple and Amazon as well have too much power. Their biggest and most substantive recommendation is to consider legislation that wouldn't allow tech companies to own different lines of business, and this would ultimately also lead to breakups of companies that exist today. The response to all of this? Nada. Republicans aren't even close to interested in this type of legislation, and markets completely shrugged it off. Most of these stocks were flat, with Facebook down 1%, and Apple was actually up 1.5%. The Bloomberg headline nailed it. It said, Tech antitrust push faces brick wall from gap between parties. Basically, if you are interested in the depowering of these massive tech powered networks, you're going to have to just invent alternatives because change is not going to come from the top. Last up on The Brief today, a brief update on central bank digital currencies. This was a topic I dug into much more deeply on Monday, specifically with regard to privacy implications, but I wanted to report some more news from the field. A deputy governor of the People's Bank of China has unveiled some numbers from the DCEP trials that happened in three Chinese cities between April and August. 113,300 consumer digital wallets were opened, as well as 8,859 corporate wallets. These processed the equivalent of 162 million across 3.1 million digital yuan transactions. Those transactions represented 6,700 different use cases, and so PBOC is claiming, quite reasonably, I think, that this makes it the most widely used commercial CBDC. Trials, of course, have now expanded in China, so expect more on this over the coming months. The one other bit of CBDC news that I wanted to mention is that the Korea Herald is reporting that the Bank of Korea is moving from a research to a technical phase to actual trials. This is particularly interesting. Part of what I said on Monday is that over the course of this year, a lot of the CBDC efforts have accelerated, and this is certainly the case in Korea. The Bank of Korea had originally said that it didn't see a need for a CBDC, but then changed its tune very, very quickly. These trials will be a little bit different than China's trials, for example, because they'll start entirely virtual. With that, however, let's go to our main conversation with my guest, Chao Wang. For those of you who aren't familiar, Chao was at Masari for a while, helping get that company started, and now helps a variety of different types of startups across the space. He's also a personal trader, and I've always found his analysis particularly dispassionate, which is something that is so rare in crypto that it's often just on the face of it hugely differentiating. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin and its resilience in the context of macro factors over the last few weeks. We also talk about DeFi and why Chow believes that it is such a logical next step from the foundation that Bitcoin has built. We even discuss why Bitcoin rather than Ether might end up as the reserve asset for DeFi. And finally, we talk about the risk of regulation and whether it makes the entire DeFi project almost null and void or at least highly suspect. Is the chief value proposition of DeFi simply reducing friction? And is that reduction in friction simply skirting around regulations? If that's the case, what future does it have? This is a really interesting conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. All right, we are back. Sir, welcome to the show. It's been long overdue, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I appreciate uh, having you over.
0: So I was just telling you before, I I have been, uh, you know, I think that we're in a really weird moment right now. And I think that especially going into the elections, we're poised to only see it get weirder in some ways. Uh, and you are a very keen observer, I think, of markets from a traditional perspective, a Bitcoin perspective, and a DeFi kind of crypto writ large perspective. So I thought it'd be fun to just kind of uh, let it rip and chat about what we're seeing going on out there and your perceptions of things. And that's kind of what I'm thinking. Let's do it. So uh, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Donald Trump has just retweeted or tweeted that there will be no stimulus. He's uh, told Mitch McConnell to stop uh, and markets don't seem to be liking it. But what do you make of this tweet, uh, I guess, in general? And then maybe we'll talk about Bitcoin as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I was taking a nap when, when when Trump tweeted about this. And I missed a couple of really obvious traits, but... um you know, my, my high-level thinking around macro is in any election is that I have no edge in, in this market. I mean, everything boils down to knowing what Washington is going to do next. If you know what Washington is going to do next, then you can make a lot of money. But I don't know that. I have no edge in this market. I mean, last time I, I really, really followed macro was uh, first half of this year when coronavirus hit. I thought I had an edge because I, I think I, I thought I understood coronavirus better than the vast majority of, of people, of the in this market. So I traded macro like crazy the first in the first half of this this year. And by the way, that's how I missed the first three x in DeFi because I was yeah. so obsessed with with macro. I mean, people people don't know that DeFi actually would have three x earlier this year before uh, before Compound. Uh, but now I just you know I don't think I can really. I mean, if you if you trade crypto with a time horizon of one or two weeks right now, you're essentially trading Nasdaq. Um, and in actuality, very few people have an edge in that. So, you know, I don't, I don't really uh, do a ton of discretionary, uh, you know, two week kind of trade uh, nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, overall, I mean, a stimulus is always going to come. Um, I, I don't know what, what's going on currently in, in Washington, but. Um, you know, we crossed the uh, Rubicon uh, during coronavirus uh, with uh, QE infinity and all that stuff. So the stimulus is always going to come. That's, that's my base case. And um, all this monetary and fiscal uh, stimulus is going to push asset prices to levels uh, that's in- that would be totally unthinkable uh, before this year. Uh, and that includes stocks, gold, uh, and also Bitcoin, and also like the rest of crypto. Uh, But that's more of a long-term thing, right? Like by long-term, I mean like maybe a few months to uh, a couple of years kind of time horizon.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that that's what uh, people are reacting to right now. So a number of people on Bitcoin Twitter, uh, Keith McCullough, like said that he sold all his Bitcoin today and this is for him is super programmatic in some ways he has these quads right and we move from quad three to quad four and basically the difference between those two is growth slowing in both but the expectations of inflation are what's different so in his quad three expectations of inflation rise that's where we've been for a lot of the year at least from a narrative perspective right people getting more and more nervous about inflation rising hence the gold trade hence the Bitcoin trade now he's kind of moving into quad four in his uh lexicon right which is all about uh inflation decreasing so just a, a sense of potential uh you know deflation or whatever and it seems to me that in a lot of ways when you look like depending on what your time scale is this is the central debate is whether you think more people are expecting inflation or whether you think more people are expecting deflation and pretty much everything follows from there
1: yeah for sure i mean again um for me i have no no edge in this uh in this game. Like, over a, a three-month time horizon. I guess that's what Keith McCall's uh, time horizon is, right? Like he, he switches quads from you know, one quad to another uh, for a couple months, right? So I, I guess you know, a, a two-month time horizon is something that I personally have zero edge in, so I have no idea. Um, but I know that this is uh, in the short term, this is a very big uh, debate among the macro investors, whether we're, we're gonna see inv- uh, or inflation or deflation in, in Q4. I have no idea, but in the long term, you know, in the one year plus time horizon, um, I think asset prices are going to go way up. Yes, yeah. my least
0: so I, I think it's also interesting, something that I've noticed you kind of say in a number of times is that over the last couple of weeks, we've had just this barrage of theoretically bearish news for Bitcoin, right? We've had BitMEX, we had uh, the UK with the derivatives today, although you could argue that kind of both ways in terms of bearish or bullish. Uh, but you've had all these sort of things, and it hasn't really moved that much, right? I've, certainly, we've gone sideways and down a little bit, but uh, it, it seems like your sense is that this is a resiliency proving for this asset.
1: I'm, I'm genuinely impressed. Um, and to be honest, I don't really know why Bitcoin is, has been so stable after all the, all these uh, the series of really bad news. Like we had what like Kucoin and then and BMS and then Trump getting coronavirus, and then no stimulus today, and then the UK uh, banning uh, crypto derivatives. I mean, and, and Bitcoin's at ten oh five. It's crazy. Um, I mean, I've seen some theories of. Uh, you know, option sellers, uh, potentially, like we've seen uh, a lot of new um, option sellers ba- basically since maybe April, May. Um, and that might suppress the volatility of, of the spot market. Um, I can see argument, like I can see why that may be the case. Again, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but I'm just genuinely impressed by the, by the stability <laughs> of, of uh, the spot market.
0: Do you think, um, I'm interested in your take. I don't know if you've had a chance to like formulate a take because it just came out this morning, but what do you make of the
1: UK's derivatives ban? I'm not a regulatory expert, but I can see arguments on both sides. Um, It's, you know, I I worry about DeFi, to be honest. Um, I'm not sure that um, the founders have been taking regulations seriously. I mean, a lot of projects did. Um, but there are a couple of areas in DeFi that uh, will be affected by by this kind of uh, you know by the UK stuff as well as by, by Bitmex, right? Like one thing I'm super excited about in DeFi is uh, synthetic assets, the ability to provide high quality assets for anyone in the world. So, for instance, you know some kind of, some kind of synthetic assets on U.S. equities, right? That anyone in the world can can access. Um, but these synthetic assets are derivatives. And obviously this new UK news will be bearish for this type of products. Um, but at the same time, I see, I see some pros. I see some uh, reasons for it being positive. Uh, I think, I personally think the amount of leverage in the crypto market in general is just ridiculously high. Like people don't need hundred x leverage and that's just ridiculous. Like Warren Buffett in, in his entire life, at, at probably at maximum, he might've used like 2x leverage or something like he like basically if you have like a million dollars you leverage to two million dollars that's what Br- Warren Buffett did and he made a killing throughout his life you don't need le- that much leverage to make a lot of money like anything above like 2x or something I mean of course if you want to do like short-term trading it's fine but you know 100x leverage is really detrimental to the market and that's what we saw in March this year right with BinEx, um collapsing uh, the deleveraging de- de- of, of binx uh, we went all the way from like what seven thousand to three thousand within a day. I mean that was really bad. I think you know out of I'm I'm generally a um, i am generally ai guess a small regulation kind of guy. Like I I don't like I'm I prefer as uh, few regulations as possible. But among all the regulators in the world, I think the derivative regulators are probably the most beneficial uh, to the market to the to a healthy functioning of the market. I mean there is a reason why CME futures are not giving you, are not giving traders, even institutional traders, 100X leverage, right? They give in these institutional traders maybe 5X leverage. And that's, that's because they're heavily regulated by, by the CFTC. So again, you know, this, this whole story, I can see pros and cons on both. But again, I'm not, I haven't read the fine prints. Uh, I don't, I'm not a, a legal or regulatory expert.
0: Well, I think that the challenge that you kind of are uh, are striking on is that, there's almost an inherently broad brushstroke nature to this when you lump together all crypto derivatives or all derivatives of any type, right? You're talking about things which are these really interesting experimental use cases, which potentially increase access. And that is, in fact, their point, right? The synthetic assets like you were just talking about. But you're also talking about like degenerate casino games online, you know, with with the leverage. And theoretically, you could, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect regulators to get sophisticated enough to be able to differentiate between these two. But that's not usually going to be the first pass. It's either going to, be, it's an all or nothing type of situation. Right.
1: I think that's a good point. Yeah.
0: So uh, you ran a couple of polls that I found really interesting about DeFi, uh, DeFi investor sentiment, uh, over the last couple of weeks. So what, what was the idea of those polls? What was the prompting for that? Because I thought it was a, a kind of a, I actually referenced them
1: today on the show, uh, before we did this interview. So I guess the story goes back to, uh, maybe early September, um, when, when sushi swap, when the entire sushi swap drama happened, uh, that was the first sign that told me maybe we're at at a top. Uh, I mean, it's it's just the kind of stuff that that usually happens at the top, right? Local top, not necessarily like multi year uh, winter or something like that. But it's the kind of stuff that happens at local top, and um, and I said to myself, if this is indeed a top, then um, we're going to crash really hard because we just went through a parabolic 10 X increase in the entire DeFi market, including all the, uh, you know, all the blue chips, as well as the long tail of of DeFi projects. Um, and today we are maybe on average 50% off the top, maybe 60%. Usually this is not the bottom in, in crypto. Um, usually we should be prepared for maybe 80% to 90%. Um, I mean, this may or may not happen, right? Like we, we might, this might be the bottom, but I wanted to see if um, the market is feeling fear and despair and anger. Um, but I don't really see that today. I still see a lot of hope. So my base case today is we're probably going to be lower still uh, two to three months from now. Uh, again, I could be totally wrong, but I think I, you know, based on all the, you know, triangulating a bunch of information, you know, the charts, the sentiment, um, I think I'm probably sixty to seventy percent confident I'm right. Um, so, you know, that's that's why I did this poll this morning. But again, you know, DeFi the fundamentals have been improving, <laughs> like paradoxically. The TVL has been increasing over the last month So, and, and the founders are building, are, are working really hard. I see a bunch of new projects in the private market. Like DeFi is, is here to stay for sure. Like it, it's, it's, DeFi is real. And uh, I'm fairly confident that two years from now, DeFi will be higher than it is today.
0: This episode is brought to you by Crypto.com. The crypto super app that lets you buy, earn, and spend crypto all in one place and earn up to 8.5% per year on your Bitcoin. Download the Crypto.com app now to see the interest rates you could be earning on BTC and more than 20 other coins. Once in the app, you can apply for the Crypto.com metal card, which pays you up to 8% cash back instantly on all purchases. Reserve yours in the Crypto.com app today. In this crisis, many investors aim to keep and grow their digital assets You've been through a lot of cycles in this industry, right? and uh, have had a kind of experience watching things come and go. And you had a tweet that said, in crypto's brief history, we've seen numerous crypto narratives come and go. However, DeFi is one of the very few that's bound to stay. Why? Since Bitcoin, we have value on blockchains. The next logical step is to trade it, lend it, borrow it, collateralize it, transfer the risk of it, etc. So I guess like, you know, uh, for people who don't know, like how long have you been in this space? What have you been watching? And what got you so excited about? Or what makes you have high conviction in
1: DeFi? I've been following Bitcoin since 2012, um, Ethereum 2014. Um, obviously there was this uh, huge, crazy ICO boom in 2017, but you know, all these years, uh, I guess maybe since Ethereum, to be very honest, I haven't seen anything that really excites me. And to be very honest, uh, as, I, as I told you before, I missed the first three X earlier this year in DeFi. But after I, I lost, uh, interest in, in macro and started dabbling DeFi maybe around May. Um, at, th- at that time, I was still skeptical to be honest. I knew DeFi was real, but I didn't think that DeFi was going to come uh, this early uh, because I, I kind of thought a lot of things weren't ready, especially you know scalability, uh, the number of you know, MetaMask installations. Uh, I thought DeFi wasn't ready, but I was quickly proven wrong, um, especially when um, I guess uh, Compound, uh, the Compound uh, incentive mining came came out in uh, in June. Uh, I guess that was the turning point. That was the inflection point in the in the DeFi mania uh, in in the summer. Um, but the the moment I, I really thought DeFi was real was after playing around with uh, maybe half a dozen of, of DeFi products, right? The you know the Blue Chips, um, Uniswap, uh, Aave, you know Compound, all these. Um, uh, products that, that people use. And that, that's when you realize, holy shit, this thing is actually really different from your traditional financial products. Like, the, the, like It just feels different. Like it, it's, very, it's very hard to describe DeFi in an abstract way to people who, ha- who haven't used the product. You really have to use it to, in order to understand why this thing is so different. And when I first used these products, it just felt like when I first used Bitcoin, which is you know, the ability to transfer or to use some financial product in a way that's um, that, where I have complete freedom and complete control and no censorship and complete control of my, my, I guess, data privacy. I mean, it's not complete private, but I have control over it, right? Um, it, it, it was just very reminiscent of, of Bitcoin. But that tweet that you just mentioned that I, that I tweeted out was exactly this, is, is that when Bitcoin first came out, um, we have some value on a global distributed ledger we had the, the, the ability to friction, frictionlessly store and transfer value, and that was Bitcoin. Now the next logical step is just you know, collateralize the value, lend the value, borrow the value, or transfer the risk of the value, right? And, and, and that's DeFi, it's, it's really the, the next logical step. So that's why I say like, if you understand Bitcoin, there's absolutely no excuse for not understanding DeFi. It's the same thing, it's just the next logical step. So I think DeFi is here to say,
0: do you think, uh, how do you see uh, base assets for DeFi playing out? Like, do you see Bitcoin becoming kind of the, the reserve asset for most of DeFi? Do you think it'll be Ethereum? Do you think it moves to other chains? Is it kind of like some
1: crazy melange that mixes everything? Um, again, I think you need to play around, sorry, play around with the product in order to make a, make a conclusion or hypothesis. Um, I think Rapp BTC just feels feels pretty good, to be honest. So I don't see why Bitcoin cannot become the uh, reserve currency of DeFi. And if we do come uh, from an Ethereum-centric DeFi world into a multi-chain DeFi world, then um, it's gonna be even more competition for Ethereum, for Ether, the asset. So I'm of the view that uh, maybe 60%, I'm not entirely sure, but maybe 60% that. Bitcoin is going to be the reserve currency alongside the stable coins, of course, right? I and mean, the stable coins are always gonna I mean as long as the the regulators are gonna fuck with the with the stable coins, they're always gonna be the primary asset for, for DeFi just because it's easier for, for mental accounting and, and, and store value
0: how much have you been paying attention to stablecoins this year again speaking of uh, it is fascinating like the beginning of the year alongside that macro narrative obviously all of a sudden stablecoins shot right up right and then july starts and we start minting 100 million dollars in stablecoins a day and i think we might have just passed 20 million total or 20 billion total excuse me uh, but there's been so much focus on defi that that's kind of like it dropped off as a crypto narrative
1: yeah, I mean, to your point, uh, I think there are two main catalysts for, for, the, def- for the stablecoin growth. One is the, the macro narrative earlier this year, right? Like US dollar was the, uh, the ultimate safe haven uh, for better or for worse. Uh, even gold on a really underperformed uh, uh, US dollar during the first uh, sell-off or deleveraging. Uh, and then the second catalyst was, was DeFi, I think, right? Uh, when the yield went all the way from like 8% uh to maybe 50 percent uh all the stable coins came in and and, and also that was the story with uh rap btc i think right people uh, minted rap btc and you know synthetic U.S. basically Rap btc is the btc version of, of uh stable coins right like these are just synthetic btc and synthetic dollars uh so people minted a bunch of these synthetic assets or re- synthetic reserve assets and used them to for yield farming basically i think i think this was the uh the second catalyst for uh, stable hunts this year. So
0: I'm interested in, you know, you are not someone who follows hype cycles. Uh, I, I can say that pretty confidently having, you know, paid attention closely to, uh, you know, uh, crypto content for the last few years. What, what do you think is the best critique of DeFi and the worst critique? Um... Best critique can also be, it doesn't mean that it's like uh, uh, fully right. It's more like, what's the right type of healthy skepticism, I guess you could say.
1: I would say the main challenges for DeFi are still, I think it's regulation, uh, frankly, because everything else is is a solvable problem. Like tech is a solvable problem. MetaMask installation is a solvable problem. It, it just takes time. Um, but regulations is something that we don't really have full control over. Uh, we could do something like, you know, Coin Center and, and you know, like, um, uh, you know, really, like with active evangelism for for DeFi. But if regulators wanted to kill a new technological um, uh, uh, innovation, um, they could do that. They, they can kill it. They can never kill it completely, but they can make it very hard to use. Through a bunch of new regulations, um, I think this is the main challenge, to be honest. And you know, I'm as I told you earlier, uh, I've been running the DeFi lines uh, for for a few months, and uh, this is probably the biggest problem that we're working on right now. Uh, we're going to announce something pretty quickly some sometime soon. But regulation is, is the is the best critique for for DeFi. Now the worst critique. Um, Again, I I think everything else is a solvable problem. I mean what what are some of the criticisms of DeFi currently right like
0: I don't know the big I think that you're I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to the regulation piece that like this is ultimately escaping notice right now because it's escaping notice right now but that we're going to see a, a a repeat play out of you know I mean 2 years ago right when the ICO boom was happening people thought that they could kind of get away with it and now we're just seeing the kind of wave of action stream in And I think that there's a concern that if the chief value proposition ultimately is kind of a regulatory arbitrage or skirting around uh, legislation, it's not going to really work.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the main benefits of of DeFi products is the lack of KYC, which by extension means uh, an easy and frictionless onboarding system or onboarding process user experience. I I think the entire DeFi at, at its core is about frictionless user experience. And the lack of KYC is a main part of it, and that can get killed by, by regulations.
0: Do you see any scenario in which that doesn't get killed by regulations? Like, how, how, does, that, <laughs> how, how does that play out differently, I guess, is the, maybe the interesting counterfactual?
1: You know, I, I'm not an expert in, in, in the regulations. Sure, yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I can't provide an <laughs> informed answer. Uh, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I don't know, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's super interesting. I mean, I think that these, like, what's for sure, a, a lot of what I've said very frequently on this show is that uh, I think part of what makes DeFi really different right now than other previous sort of... Um, Uh, you know, uh, micro crypto narratives that have gotten really hot is that it's all, it's pretty much all in franchise players who know the stakes and can actually like experiment together. And when losses happen, they happen with an informed audience, right? It's a very different than Korean pensioners, you know, buying a bunch of Cardano, you know, in in 2017 and things like that. And so I think that the experimentation is really interesting. The question is, and, you know, I think a lot of the legal experts feel like it might be all for naught because the coolest things just are going to get stomped out by the heavy hand of regulation, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's it'll be interesting to see. So let me ask you a question about another uh, another narrative, which I actually haven't covered very much on the show, but is something uh, I saw another tweet from you. You were talking, I think it was earlier in it was the beginning of September, and you were talking about the the uh, kind of rapid shift over to discussion of NFTs. What's your take on on that? Like, it, you know, how how has that changed since then? You know, is it was it just people looking for something else to talk about because DeFi started to cool yeah. down a little bit? Like,
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's both. I mean. Uh, first of all, this fucking NFT narrative is so fucking dumb. Sorry about my language, but <laughs> it's not that the NFT projects are dumb. Like there, there's some really great projects, but NFT it stands for literally non fungible token. Like being bullish on NFT is like being bullish on your C twenty. What the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like if you want to be bullish on something, you want to be bullish on some applications that are build using NFTs, using, uh, you know, whatever, you know, non-fungible token standard on, on Ethereum or whatever, right? So NFT, this narrative itself does not make any sense. Um, now, am I bullish on NFTs? Sure. I mean, there's absolutely no reason why NFTs are, are not going to succeed, right? I mean, we've seen fungible tokens accrue a ton of value since Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a fungible token right and then all these zrc20s have non-zero value right so i mean we've already seen 200 to 300 billion dollars worth of value being stored in fungible tokens so why can't non-fungible tokens accrue a ton of value right i mean this is my high level take now um i haven't dug into um like very deep into like the nft world and i've seen a few projects here and there some are very interesting you know you know the the, um, uh, you know, the aggregation place, uh, the exchange place, you know, NFT exchanges um, or um, uh, NFT you know, lending, borrowing, whatever, like these, these make sense. I mean, if they can be done on fungible tokens, why can they not be done on uh, non-fungible tokens? Now, um, I'm not an expert, again, but uh, I can see NFT uh, becoming very big. At the same time, this recent, uh, you brought up this, this really good point, that this recent rise in the NFT narrative was really, really because of the fatigue with uh, the DeFi narrative. It's just, it's so obvious and so stupid. Um, yeah, I mean, the entire crypto market just constantly looking for new narrative. That's, that's just, that's been the case since, uh, since the Since the dawn of time, yeah. Since exactly. the of time, Yeah.
0: yeah. No, I think it's interesting. I think it's. I think actually, it's a great uh, clarification, not just for the NFT space, but for any of these spaces where it's like, okay, if the idea is that this underlying this underlying technology or or enables some type of thing that wasn't possible before, then the question is, is the thing that it enables going to be significant in some way? And there's a full range of possibilities. Like, I think that digital collectibles have a, uh, they have both a lot of opportunity, but they also have a lot to prove. I also get the feeling often with them that it's it's not in the same way that you can't say like our books going to be big or like our movies going to be big it's going to be specific genres or you know what i mean like where it's uh you're you're basically with nfts you introduce culture not just finance and figuring out where a culture is going to drift and how people are going to ascribe value to cultural assets is very different than pure play financial assets, and all the speculation in the world won't make it so if people don't care. I wouldn't be surprised if nft's real heyday or digital collectibles real heyday isn't until you actually have virtual worlds where digital scare, there, there's a, a complementary way to display your digitally scarce asset you know that's such a huge part of. People knowing that you own a thing and being able to show off that you own a thing is such a big piece of it, you know?
1: Exactly. That's the core of digital collectible. It's this sentiment attachment or being able to show off your, your, the thing that you, that you own. Um, I think you, you would have to see some kind of Instagram for NFTs before NFTs. I mean, it's kind of like a, the relationship between that, between an Instagram NFT and NFT, is kind of like the relationship between Bitcoin and Coinbase, Right. Bitcoin and Coinbase, early on, they help each other uh, become successful. And we need to see that in NFT, NFTs as well, right? We're going mm-hmm. to have to see an Instagram for NFTs where people can show off their NFTs in order for NFT, uh, the, the NFT uh, sector to become successful and vice versa.
0: I mean, this is also interesting because it comes back to another thing that I've thought a lot about DeFi, which is like, we always have an ambition for things to get very big, very fast, you know, like, especially, I mean, this is a very human tendency. If you see a potential future that you really believe in, you want it to be so you want to bring other people into that. But these, these kind of micro ecosystems are growing up in a way that is like, I, I think that it doesn't diminish the value of them for them to be small or only have a certain number of kind of early adopters who believe in that, right? Like, we're in the kind of early, uh, early stages of bootstrapping that sort of value, particularly when it comes to something like, digital collectibles and that doesn't mean that it's inevitable that you we kind of cross the chasm or anything but it's certainly like you know i think it's similar with DeFi. like it doesn't feel to me like the type of thing where you want all of a sudden a bunch of normies you know to like flood into the space and start playing around it would create this chaos in in the system you know
1: yep for sure
0: Fascinating stuff. Um, what what else are you paying attention to? What else is interesting? What else you know between now and the end of the year? What do you think might happen in in uh, in Bitcoin or crypto that's worth that's worth kind of keeping an eye on?
1: For me, it's the same story. I mean, I still I'm I'm short term bearish on DeFi, but I still spend all my time um, helping founders uh, looking at new projects. Um, I mean, now till the end of the year, it's it's such a short um, time horizon, but I guess if you want to look a, a little bit beyond that, then, you know, under collateralized lending is something I'm super excited about. Uh, the ability for anyone to borrow money um, when they have nothing to collateralize and use that money to start a venture, start a business. I mean, that's like, that's the, the, the cornerstone of capitalism. If we can do that on, on DeFi, then it's, it's so, it's going to be great. It's, it's one of the first uh, definitively positive, some some uh, products uh, for DeFi, um, and uh, synthetic assets. Uh, that's also another very big uh, big sector. Um, but uh, you know, again, I don't understand the uh, the regulatory side of things. But assuming we can fix that problem, then I think synthetic assets will be really, really, really big.
0: Well. I appreciate you hanging out for a little bit. It's really fun. I'd love to do this more frequently. I, I think your, uh, your hot takes are always piping hot. And uh, so thanks for hanging out today.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks for your time as well.
0: I think that in the wake of both the UK's ban on crypto derivatives yesterday and the CFTC and the Department of Justice going after BitMEX from last week, it's hard not to dwell on this question of whether this entire space is going to be regulated out of existence. If you listen to my interview with Preston Byrne and Stephen Paley from last week, you'll hear how much skepticism they have that DeFi can survive the same sort of culling we're seeing now a couple years on that happened to the ICO era projects. Even in that conversation with Chow, he acknowledged that certain aspects of the regulatory regime like derivatives regulation are really important and serve a purpose. So how do you reconcile that with this incredibly fast-moving, almost financial engineering type of online money games that is DeFi right now? the permissionless nature of it, the frictionless nature of it, these things that are so empowering to people who are in the crypto space and who are focused on that use case are the same types of things that are going to raise major red flags with regulators. I think for those who are invested in this space, working now before it becomes an issue to work with regulators to help them understand what value propositions are being proposed, why this is a valuable addition to the overall space, how you avoid abuses that they're going to be concerned about, and just generally make it part of an innovation package that is of value to them rather than something that's an easy sacrificial lamb feels really, really important. Anyways, guys, I'm interested to know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at NLW or at BreakdownNLW, which is where you can find the podcast. Let me know what you think about Chow's argument for why Bitcoin itself will likely end up the reserve asset of the space. And by the way, I wanted to say a big thanks to everyone who has rated and reviewed the show recently. They're really helping people find and discover this thing. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and keep it going. Anyways, guys, until tomorrow, be safe and take care of each other. Peace.
1: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that.